0: With the adoption of complex conservative prudential regulatory requirements, banks are now subject to multiple risk-based capital ratios, leverage ratios, capital buffers, and total loss-absorbing capital ratios. As a result, they hold excessive levels of capital and liquidity that are increasingly disconnected from the level of risk they incur. Although these levels have undoubtedly increased resiliency, they come at a cost. The more capital required, the less deployed into the economy. Here, Joe Seidel, SIFMA's Chief Operating Officer, and Carter McDowell, SIFMA's Associate General Counsel and Managing Director, talk through the state of the post-crisis prudential regulatory framework and its effects on the capital markets, including market liquidity, capital formation, and innovation.
1: Thanks for joining me today to talk about how the post-crisis prudential regulatory framework is affecting the capital markets and some key developments underway that are of particularly high priority for CIFMA's members. Let's start with CCAR and stress testing. The comprehensive capital analysis and review, which is the framework used by the Federal Reserve to assess and supervise large banks and financial institutions, was developed a decade ago. CCAR's approach to the treatment of trading book assets is largely unchanged despite nearly nine years of rulemaking, which have significantly reduced the risk profile of the largest financial institutions. Known critical flaws of the CCAR approach include double counting the impact of identical positions in the overall results and an unsupportable level of conservatism baked into the calibration of the instantaneous shock. From your viewpoint, which are the crucial revisions needed and why are they necessary?
2: You've touched on initially uh, two of the areas that I think we're we're quite concerned about. And as you mentioned, uh, the trading book areas of CCAR are relatively uh, the same as as they began um, a decade ago. recognizing that on the credit book side, there's been lots of discussion, there's been greater transparency, there's been um, a real effort by the Fed that they should uh, be credited for uh, in terms of of making the the test more understandable and and making it a very useful tool for firms. Uh, Unfortunately, on the trading book side, we really haven't seen that level of engagement from Mm -hmm. them, uh, whether it's transparency or it's the details of the annual test that I think we're able to glean from from what we know. I think uh, uh, all across the board, I think we would very much encourage uh, that it's time for a review and time for a serious engagement on it. Some of the things I think we are concerned about are uh, beyond double counting, um, beyond the sort of overall sort of uh, uh, level of the test, I think is the one-way nature of it. I think we see that uh, the shocks are are severe across all asset classes. Uh, It it allows for, or it accounts for, forces you to account for a a six-month shutdown of the markets. I think all of this is way beyond anything historical, and I think we are uh, engaging in an effort here at SIFMA now to look at that using historical data and while uh, uh, six months is extreme we think uh, there are are more reasonable areas more constructive areas where you could have uh, the shocks for shorter durations or you could look more at the interconnectedness of shocks and and have a much more constructive test where people uh, would get much more out of the test and would uh, be much more encouraging of prudent risk management practices uh, other areas, were very concerned across the board at the Fed, I think, in the capital markets area, the failure to distinguish uh, between liquid and illiquid types of uh, instruments. Uh, in particular, I think uh, the Fed in the trading book area has taken a one-size-fits-all approach in many ways, and I think there are very big differences between different types of asset classes. So uh, just at the most basic level, between liquid and illiquid assets, I think we see large distinctions in the marketplace, and we uh, would hope that the Fed would do some additional work, and we can certainly help them with that in terms of, of taking greater account of those things within their testing framework. Uh, transparency, obviously, throughout the test is something I think is important uh, in the in the trading area. Um, you know, in many ways, because of the severity of the tests that they do, they're almost making uh, and putting in place new capital standards for uh, market risk as they go along uh, and that are changing every year. And while we think uh, there's definite value in stress testing, extreme stress testing that doesn't really track market behavior, that doesn't really comport with normal and prudent and conservative risk management practices, um, we're not sure that that really has, has a good outcome to it or has a good, uh, uh, good result in terms of improving the overall resilience of the system. So we think that the stress testing should be much more measured, um, conservative, even super conservative, but not at a point where it doesn't uh, uh, really track or doesn't really comport with anything that has been seen in, uh, in human history. Um, I think also as you look at the large counterparty default, I think we see the same uh, type of impact um, in the area of collateral, for example. I think the stress that's put on the uh, Treasury treasuries in particular as collateral uh, are, are, again, at the extreme end of the spectrum. And while uh, you can be conservative, you can be super conservative, you can be extra conservative, it doesn't really... Help, we think to to take those uh, take it to the extreme that they do, and we think there's much more constructive tests that can be built um, with a, a deeper dive into what existing practices have been, what existing market losses have been in these areas, and again, we're hopeful that we'll be uh, doing some upcoming research and and producing some upcoming work that will help the Fed in that direction and. Like I say, our goal here at SIFMA is not necessarily to throw out the CCAR test, to, to discard trading book stress testing. But we do think it would be uh, wise to do it in a smart, prudent way so that what it does is encourage uh, best risk management practices and is not just extreme for the sake of extreme or extreme because that's the easy thing to do. Uh, in applying a one-size-fits-all model. So there's differences in the market, and we think that those differences should be appreciated by the Fed. We think that they've done a very good job historically at factoring that in on the credit book side, um, and we think we sh- they would like to see them apply the same academic and uh, both interest and fire uh, firepower uh, in the trading area.
1: So you've mentioned that they've made these kind of revisions to the Credit book. Why do you think they haven't done it on the trading book side? I suspect
2: the credit book is more fundamental to the, the history of bank regulation and their role as a bank regulator. Um, I think that's you know people necessarily gravitate to what they're good at, and certainly uh, understanding credit and credit markets is is a hallmark of the Fed as well as the other banking agencies. So I think there's a natural um, inclination to to move in areas that you feel the most comfortable in and then to uh, uh, deal with other areas that are more problematic, that are more complicated, more complex, new territory. Uh, and in that regard, I think the trading book has been a little bit of uh, a project or an idea or an area that is probably on somebody's list to do you know, to do next year. Um, and every year is next year and they never really get around to it given uh, the uh, rightful focus of them and the much larger profile of uh, the credit book in the banking industry.
1: Thank you. Another regulation with significant flaws and on the receiving end of extensive criticism is the Volcker Rule both the current regulation and the proposal the agencies put out last year. We may see the next iteration of the proposal sometime soon. What are your expectations, and what would you most hope to see change from the current law and the more recent proposal?
2: You know, I think there we were uh, very, very supportive of the effort at the agencies, and, and we give them credit for the, the work that they've done in, in looking at the, the existing regulations and, and working with each other, which in any uh At any time, uh, conducting a five-agency process is a a complex undertaking, and we very much appreciate the efforts that are being undertaken there. I think in terms of areas, I think we support many of the uh, recommendations uh, of the Treasury study that was produced in June of uh, 2017, uh, outlining some of the ways that Volcker could be made more efficient, outlining, again, not, not throwing... Out the core precepts of the vocal Rule, but doing it in a smarter, more efficient way. And uh, in that regard, I think we're, we're very supportive of, of the effort. I think areas from the initial proposal, I think that we're focusing on and that SIFMA has written extensively on and engaged extensively on with regulators include the accounting test, which we think is uh, a, a well-attempted, but unfortunately uh, missing the mark uh, test, and uh, Uh, designed to uh, better account for uh, market making and better account for uh, trading activities. And I think there, they've probably missed the mark. And I think they hopefully have understood that from the input from CIFMA and member firms and many, many others who have suggested that while uh, maybe uh, the intent was directionally right, that there are much, much, much better ways to do it. And I think we will hopefully um, hopefully see them exploring those ways uh, in the next iteration uh, uh, we see there. Other areas I think CIFMA members are concerned about are the metrics of the proposal. I think there, I think uh, uh, a lot of infrastructure has been implemented at our various firms and we're not always sure that the metrics are measuring either the right things or being done uh, in a way that best uh, produces the uh, uh, meaningful data and uh, meaningful uh, uh, intelligence to the regulators, so we hope from top to bottom that they'll look at more efficient, uh, with the years of experience now that they've had with the Volcker Rule, look uh, for more efficient metrics, streamline less of them, and uh, build on what they have done before, but do it in a way that is much, much more uh, cost-effective uh, and, and gives them much more of uh, what they need. Um, I think we'll also be hopeful that some of the uh, definitions uh, track a little more closely to what is uh, what we see in, in the real world on the practical side related to uh, the trading desks uh, and the definitions around there. I think also we're uh, Looking at some of the the compliance obligations in terms of reporting interday exposures, which uh, we think are, is very hard to do, as well as some of the reporting requirements and the uh, the timing around some of the reporting requirements and how practical that is in a in a real real world situation. Um, so we're we're hoping they're going to be making progress on the uh, proprietary trading side. I think separately uh, they've put out concepts on the fund side and there I think we'll be looking for um, more detail and proposals going forward in terms of uh, again how to improve the fund side. I think I think that's much more of a lawyer's challenge in terms of dealing with the definitions and dealing with a portion of the law that was... Uh, uh, very complex, uh, although short, very complex to, uh, to put together. And, and I think this, uh, hopefully, uh, this round will, will be more helpful. And again, sort of, uh, uh, better adequately, uh, gauging for existing market practices.
1: How important is this reform? Is it impacting the the liquidity in the markets and, and market making in general?
2: You know, I, I think we think it certainly is here. I think we certainly see that in certain markets, and I think it really requires a thoughtful review of all different types of uh, asset categories. Um, I think uh, some of the studies that have been done by regulators, I think, uh, reflect some of the most liquid markets, and there it may not have as appreciable impact as some of the... Uh, uh, areas, particularly in fixed income, that are less actively traded, um, albeit still important to the uh, uh, to U.S. finance. One other
1: question is that there were congressional efforts last year to try to change and make the Fed in charge. Do you see the agencies working well together in in trying to reform this?
2: I think anything with a multi-agency process is complicated. I think the industry would uh, very much benefit from sort of one-stop shopping. I think there's uh, other examples in securities law and consumer finance where there's a lead agency in terms of administering a regulation and I think that would be uh, quite helpful here in terms of having a lead agency and, and uh, in many ways it would seem like given their umbrella nature that the Fed would be the logical of uh, a uh, logical person for that or the logical agency for that with uh, you know, the SEC and CFTC providing certainly expertise and and certainly included in the consultations on market issues and so on. But it, it very much for everybody in, in any situation is often uh, better to deal with a single point of contact. And I think, again, there are sort of examples of this throughout banking law and securities law in terms of why that's the situation.
1: So next month, SIFMA is going to also be weighing in with the Fed on a proposed rule to revise the prudential standards applicable to foreign banking organizations. Can you give us a preview of the general themes you'll be touching on when SIPMA submits comments?
2: Yeah, in the, foreign, in the foreign banking area, again, I think we are um, concerned about the impacts that foreign bank regulation, that IHC regulation has had over the last several years in, and its impact on capital markets. In many ways, the Federal Reserve, uh, via the combinations of things we've discussed today through uh, regulation under stress testing, through the Volcker Rule, uh, in the case of the foreign banks uh, through the IHC regime, they have become maybe not the primary regulator of securities markets, but they've certainly become the most important regulator of securities markets and the most important regulator of liquidity in securities markets and, and have a major, major, major impact on uh, how securities markets function um, in many ways, the Fed has a much bigger impact on how securities markets function these days than the traditional securities regulators, which may surprise people. But I, um, and the foreign banking area is an area where we've seen it uh, seen them particularly have an impact and, and have seen uh, foreign banks uh, decline precipitously. SIFMA uh, published research earlier this year which demonstrated in in multiple asset classes the diminution of uh, the uh, participation of the foreign banks and their U.S. affiliates in U.S. capital markets via their U.S. broker dealer affiliates, and we think this is has had you know one of, of many sort of potential areas where liquidity could be threatened in the case of of. Uh, Unstable capital markets or various ex- external or internal shocks in the markets, and we would be uh, quite concerned as we see in all of these areas capacity and markets being reduced. In the foreign bank case, uh, they have a, a one size fits all uh, regulatory system again that particularly is uh, challenging for firms engaged in capital markets activities. Many of the foreign banks, while um, diversified institutions and essentially universal banks globally in the US particularly had capital markets activities where they had um, very large US presence. And I think we've seen in case after case of the larger foreign banks seeing that uh, presence now threatened uh, uh, based on the the, um, very challenging environment uh, that they've had to deal with with the standards involved. Uh, under the IHC regime, and in many cases uh, where they're essentially having to do the same regulatory uh, or take the same regulatory actions multiple times, both in their home country uh, and then in the in the host country here in the U.S. So, two sets of capital standards, two sets of liquidity standards, two risk management standards, um, uh, two uh, two of everything basically, and. Uh, with gold plating potentially in each regime on different things. So I think it's made it a very, very difficult time for them and I think we'd like to hopefully, since most of the most of the FBOs, if not all of uh, the IHCs now have trading books and have capital markets activities that are less than $50 billion, uh, looking at their most recent filings, we think this would be a, a, a smart way for the Fed to tailor once again and to to think about these things in a, uh, in a smarter way and recognize that, that because of their much more limited size now, much more of their limited presence, that they apply some of the tailoring that they now have under S2155, apply that tailoring authority here. Uh, and, and and recognize that they should have a lighter capital treatment, a lighter liquidity treatment, taking into account what's already done at the home country, uh, and treating them much more like a uh, somebody comparably sized than the. US, a regional bank or, or firms that are, of, of comparable uh, size and size and shape and we think that would benefit US capital markets we think it would uh, benefit the US economy to have these uh, have these players here and have them providing support financing uh, and investment in um, in. US capital markets. In particular one of the things I think we focus here on siFMA just to conclude is is the, uh, way that rule is crafted and the particular heavy emphasis that the Fed has on non-banking activities being per se more risky, we think at the size and scope of the capital markets activities and the fact that they're being done in regulated broker-dealers with the backstop of Fed liquidity requirements, Fed capital standards already applied to the IHCs, we think there there is no additional riskiness to any of the capital markets activities and that uh, whether it be a regulated exemption or something, that the broad category of non-banking activities that they uh, focus on and target in the rule as mean more risky should be rethought, and again, a more granular, more thoughtful, more constructive approach taken to it.
1: Thank you. A theme running through all of this is the impact that the prudential agencies are having on the capital markets in the United States, how that's a change from the way things were in the past. Um, the conference we've got next Tuesday in Washington will be focused on that and most of these topics. And I want to thank you, Joe, for your time and sharing your perspectives.
2: Now, thank you, Carter, and we look forward to seeing everybody on June 4th.
0: For more on prudential regulation and its effects on the capital markets, visit cifma.org slash prudential and register to join us on June 4th in Washington, D.C. for CIFMA and BPI's 6th Annual Prudential Regulation Conference. Also stay tuned for Sipma's study on CCAR's current treatment of the trading book.